Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. How much better does it get? Second, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever your audience is tuning in, your podcast will be there. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Look at us. We have less than 100 listeners per episode, yet we still make money on ads. Granted, it's not a lot, but we still make money. And finally, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. That's anchor, the thing you throw off your boat, .fm to get started. Sports News Podcast. I am Bennett Conlon, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick, and we got a good one. I feel like we're starting to kind of get into the football group now, so we're, we're going to the semifinals, and I feel like both of us as well are, are picking our podcast game up a little bit here. Yeah, kind of like how JMU has gone from being a trash team against Robert Morris and Elon, and they've slowly grown into a formidable foe. I think we as well started this football season a little slow, but here we are. We're picking it up, and I think we're now in our semifinal. If you put us up against any North Dakota State, any uh, Sam Houston State uh, podcast, I think we could hold our own. I think so, too, and I would love some sort of podcast competition, you know, where <laughs> we can settle it, settle it finally through the mics. Um, no, but uh, it's – we've got – some interesting things to talk about. We'll have a guest on that we'll talk about in a little bit with some Sam Houston stuff because that's obviously the semifinal opponent, and we'll get more into them later and how they were able to beat North Dakota State. But first, we got to talk about North Dakota and JMU taking care of business in that one, 34 to 21. And Jack, the part that is most interesting for me is the beginning of the season, right? North Dakota is sort of billed as this number one caliber team, unbeatable. Then they lose a game to North Dakota State, and people are like, oh, well, they were, you know, they are overrated the whole time. After then beating they, South Dakota State. Right. Then they kind of surge back up. They have a big playoff win, and at least some Valley people were like, they're going to give JMU a test. JMU kind of ran over them, and then Valley people are like, hey, you know, they were always overrated this whole time. So what do you make of this win? Yeah, I think the Missouri State inflated the Missouri State win inflated their ego 100%. What a four-loss, a five and four team that had no no business being in the FCS playoffs. We we rammed on the FCS playoff committee about that when the field was set. Those are just, of course, they're they better. Just I think any team in the field outside of Sacred Heart would have run through Missouri State. Um, yeah, and then North Dakota. I mean, they're kind of they were. They're a Valley team, you know, they're big up front. They're going to, they're going to hit you in the mouth. A, a true freshman quarterback um, that has a lot of growth, which is something I think we'll talk about against Sam Houston state against with Jamie's defense, but it was a great game. I think that was one of the best games Cole Johnson has played. And Antoine Wells just had at his coming out party. Um, I, I will talk a lot about Antoine Wells, I think in this podcast, but just overall what you were saying the Valley what started with five teams in the field, no teams left, two CAA teams started in the field, two CAA teams left. I will be thumping my chest until the cows come home about this one. 
but yeah, North Dakota State, not that they were overrated. I think they just kind of had an inflated season and an inflated first round win against Missouri State. They beat South Dakota State, which didn't look like world beaters against who'd they play? Southern Illinois. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, I don't know. I think the Valley's got some good teams, obviously. I think North Dakota is a good team, but like, I think what stood out to me is the one drive when it maybe seemed a little bit um, anxious at times toward the end of the first half. I guess Jamie drove back and scored, even though it seemed like they weren't trying to at the end of the first half. But um, North Dakota cut it to 17-14. They ran that that weird punt thing where the guy ran under center and got the defense to draw jump off sides. Oh, that pissed me off. That was frustrating. And then they went out though and they're, I mean, <laughs> just Donnie Kirkpatrick secret playbook. They found it. They're running everything, right? They're running like a hook and ladder. They're running all <laughs> these different trick plays. That to me was like, I think it was a little alarming for Jamie fans. Like, wow, we should be up more at the same time. North Dakota in the first half down 10 was like, this is all that we have. Like, here we go. I think, I think that's kind of been the big thing with against VMI. What their big plays were these like broken trick plays against North Dakota. The big plays are these broken trick plays and it inflates yards per catch It inflates yards per play. And so when you're looking at the box score at the end of the game, you're sitting there and you're like, Oh, Jamie's secondary kind of got shredded. Jamie, like you're looking at it and it doesn't tell the full story that outside of these big chunk plays, Jamie's secondary was actually playing a, a pretty solid game overall and that their defense has played fantastic throughout the entire playoffs. It's just these weird trick plays here and there. And yeah, you're running trick plays in the first half, you know, you're in trouble. The second you see a team pulling out trick plays, you're like, I don't know about this team. I think they're at the end of their playbook. <laughs> Especially when they're rolling out like a lot of them in the same drive. And it was a great <laughs> drive, but I mean, they were kind of doing everything they could to make it happen. So I thought that was interesting. And the other thing that really stood out is like, JMU's offense felt like it could score every time it got the ball. And I think that's one of the first few times I've really felt that this year, maybe that time. And then also against VMI a little bit. So I think the offense is really hitting its stride, which is, you know, kind of critical at this juncture. Yeah. And I mean, you, you, where was I going with that? I completely lost my train of thought there. Wow. This is, this makes for great podcasting, doesn't it? No, I, You're lost. He's he's lost, folks. He, he doesn't even know. He was so blown away by the fact that Jawan Hamilton was the feature back against VMI, then barely used when Palmer was brought back in, that he doesn't, he doesn't even know what to say. No, I, I was typing in jamiesports.com because I had a point where I was going to get statistics, and I just completely lost my train of thought. But isn't that – but that, that's a crazy thing. I guess we'll then transition over to running backs. What is happening? <laughs> like you got you got Latrell, you got Percy, you got Jawan, but no one's really it's just like a plug and play type of situation. Percy feels like he's been the guy. Like Jawan had the 99-yard run, so he was kind of his stats were the guy, but Percy was right there against VMI and then he was really the guy, 128 yards on 27 carries, two touchdowns. He didn't have like really that many breakaway runs as long as 28, but he's just he doesn't really lose yards. Percy is such an interesting back because he doesn't, since he became the feature back, I think last season, he hasn't had many like highlight reel runs, but he always finishes the game with about a four or five yard per carry, 20, 20 plus carries a game and over 150 yards a game or 120 yards a game. 
with a touchdown here and there. He isn't that like just destructive, like here's a 50-yard touchdown run, here's a 40-yard touchdown run. Like Juwan Hamilton is kind of that home run hitter. It's been great to see his kind of development into that role. And yeah, he falls forward. He gets hit. He, he gets hit two yards in the backfield. It's a one-yard game. The play that stood out to me with with Palmer that still makes me laugh, and it wasn't a huge moment at all. It's probably a three-yard carry toward the goal line. But he got locked in with a defender, and he was trying to stiff arm. And they were they probably went sideways 10 yards where he's just locked up with him, the guy with the the long hair. And it was a heck of a tackle to get him, get him down toward out of bounds. And immediately the guy subbed out. And I was like, that's kind of why, like, Palmer's a beast. Like, this dude – the tackling him was so challenging at the end of the drive that he was like, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I don't want any more of that for the rest of this one. Yeah. Latrell Palmer is still my favorite back, it, but it's just so interesting that he just, he barely got any run there for a few games. And then all of a sudden now he's the second back with 14 carries. Jawan has like, what? I just want to know, like, I guess when you have that many running backs and you don't want to necessarily go through four in a game, cause you kind of want them to get into a rhythm. I guess you're looking at what they the, the opponent does worse. Are they bad against like scat backs who can run it quickly out of the backfield, uh, hit a hole and go? Are they bad against, you know, a ground and pounder who, but Percy's kind of both. But I think that's when you start seeing more of Juwan or more Latrell. It depends who, who, who do they play worse against? And that's when they get in. But it's just so funny that Latrell has, is the second back. And the week before it was Juwan, the week before it was Juwan, the week before it was Latrell. Kalon Black was in there. Let's not forget about him. Solomon Van Horse is someone I want to see get more touches. He had three touches for 44 yards. I mean, he's basically 15 yards a pop. He had the one carry for 18, a couple of catches for 26. He is so fast. Like, he is so quick and fast. I'd love to see him get more jet sweeps and stuff just to – I feel like the, I feel like Sam Houston is going to key in pretty hard on Antoine Wells. Like, I'm not expecting him to have a massive game. And maybe that's like a, a bad take on my end, but I think they're going to – after the first two playoff games, I think they're going to be like, all right, like – we cannot let this kid beat us. Yeah, but here's the thing. Then you got Chris Thornton. I think who, Thornton's got it. Who started the season really hot. Like, this, this has been two teams. I think this was my point earlier that I lost track of. It's been two teams, the pre-pause and the post-pause. Post-pause, it's been led by Cole Johnson's resurgence and Antoine Wells. Pre-pause, it was led by the rushing attack and Chris Thornton on quick slants who would break him for 50-yard touchdowns. I prefer post-pause. What do you prefer? Well, post-pause team's clearly better. I mean, <laughs> I think we're taking them every day of the week, right? There's no quarterback controversy. They're rolling. Thornton's still been, like, quietly solid, so I think he'll be good. And I think Bracey and Cheatham are going to have chances uh, this week and maybe in potentially the next two games because I do think there's going to be so much defensive attention toward Wells and maybe Thornton as well that, like, I think it's very easy to forget that Clayton Cheatham might not just maul you. They did run like a screen pass at one point where they sent him out to the side as the blocker and he just obliterated a defensive back. I love what he's doing for them. And I hope he gets a few touches too, instead of just mauling people. It was, I think it was the first game against VMI where he had like a catch for like 18 yards. And the announcer was like, well, he only has three catches on the season. You don't expect him to really do much and then me sitting there as you know a JMU diehard who reads box scores as I'm putting myself to sleep and yeah he doesn't show up on the box score but man as a JMU fan you know Clayton Cheatham's ability and like it's not when it's if he's going to score catch that touchdown and or obliterate someone into the next dimension or something like that I I hope he has two catches for three touchdowns 
And that's the other thing is like, he doesn't really drop a lot of balls and he catches a ton of touchdowns. So when it's like, oh, wow, he doesn't really catch the ball much. It's like, well, because he doesn't get a lot of targets. Yeah, because when he does get, I, I'm pretty sure he has like a catch rate of like 90%. <laughs> He's as reliable as they come. So I'm a, I'm a big Clayton Cheatham fan and I'm hopeful he can get going because the passing attack right now is somewhat hilarious because it was super effective. And it was pretty much just Wells and Thornton in terms of guys who are getting targeted. Yeah, it's – I don't – like, this passing attack, it has been – I mean, what? Cole Johnson just went 13 of 15 for 200-plus yards and two touchdowns in a game where it seemed like he was only targeting Antoine Wells. And the other thing that I think was funny is people were like, he threw the deep ball a lot better this week, and it's like – He threw a lot kind of. Kind of. And Don't some of me. it is that they just dropped the deep ball against VMI. Yeah, I think I was getting upset about that, not because, like – like, yeah, let's give Cole Johnson the praise. But let's also give him the praise against VMI because Homie was slinging it against that game, in, in that game. But they were just were dropping everything. Like, he missed one. He missed one to Thornton. That's and it. And then I, they still scored a touchdown, I believe, to Thornton on that drive. So it, it ended up working fine. But, I mean, yeah, he's been, he's been really good this postseason. You know who else? I'm trying to look through it. I just need to make this comparison about Antoine Wells, what he's been doing so far, what, 11 catches? Give, what are the stats of Antoine Wells so far? It's 11 for 275 and three touchdowns. Exactly. You know what I compare – I texted you this. What I compare this playoff run to – I kind love, of this com- love this comparison. Remember, was it 2016 – it might have been 2017 because the Weber State game was, I think, the breakout game. Okay, so 2017 Riley Stapleton playoff run. We hadn't really heard about him <clears throat> kind of all season. I mean, he'd, he'd come up here and there. I mean, what, he was like a 6'5", 220-pound receiver who could go up and get it. So, of course, you hear his name a couple of times. But then he has this playoff run where he's cracked a Larry Fitzgerald-esque type of playoff run back when, what, 2007 when he did that? And Antoine Wells is doing the same thing. He's just out there destroying people. We heard his name a couple of times, like we said, in the post-pause in those couple of games, the tune-up games before the playoffs. But now in the playoffs, I swear this man's unstoppable. Yeah, I mean, he's improved his game a bunch. I think he caught a big one against – did he catch the go-ahead one against Elon? He very well could have. If I'm being 100% honest with you, pre – Pre-pause JMU football is a fever dream. It was not the go-ahead. It got him. It was from Gage, but it, it was in the fourth quarter. It got him to seventeen to thirteen. They were down seventeen to six. He caught a contested ball in the end zone. Jeez. All right. Well, we've talked a little bit about North Dakota here. Um, we will be talking probably more about that game and the reaction, kind of not the fallout, but what we're feeling heading into Sam Houston State, heading into everything like that. But now we are, um, we are joined by Josh Chriswell at item underscore, underscore Chriswell. He's the sports editor at the Huntsville Item. He hosts the Bet FCS podcast, and he's a sideline reporter for KSAM1017. Just read through his Twitter bio, but he's a great follow. He's actually been the reason we've been kind of so high on Sam Houston State this whole season. So please welcome Josh Chriswell.
Josh, thank you so much for joining us. Jack and I were talking how we followed Sam Houston all year, even though we're, we're normally following North Dakota State and pretty much just JMU and those two teams. But we've enjoyed your coverage and the talk about how Sam Houston has improved quite a bit this season. And I guess for starters, can you take us through how long you've, you've covered the program and, and sort of how long you've been around what Sam Houston's done? Yeah, you know, thanks for having me on first off. And, you know, I got here into Huntsville, I guess it was August 2019. Um, so up until this season, I guess the Bearcat fans thought I brought all the bad luck, but <laughs> turn turn things around this spring. Um, you know, it, it's been a blast. It's been a fun team to watch. You know, I've kind of seen the transition. I came in, everyone talked about how great the Sam Houston football program was, and then didn't really see it at all during 2018. Got to see flashes of it last year. And now, I mean, they're they're going up against what, in my opinion, is, you know, another one of the top three teams in the country. Yeah, without a doubt, they've grown. I mean, the last time we – Sam Houston was kind of on JMU's radar was 2016 during their national title run. I think Sam Houston was – what were they, four or something at the time? And they came in and it was billed as the matchup of the year. It was going to be this huge thing. And then JMU kind of romps them. And then – we, we don't really hear of Sam Houston State, at least in JMU's kind of circle, all that much. But what has, what has changed from the team from that version of it to today? I think there's a couple things. First, you'll look at the offensive side of the ball, and they're not that fast-paced, you know, play at a million miles an hour, or try to score 70 points every game type of offense. As we've seen, they can, as, as Nichols had them drop 71 on them. But, you know, they're, they're more of a scheme-based offense, I guess you'd say. They're not going to run it up and just try to no-huddle, hurry every single time. They do a lot more schematically. Uh, one of the things that Coach Keeler talks a lot about is he brought in, you know, Ryan Carty to be the offensive coordinator, one of the bright, you know, coaching minds in all of SCS football. So I think that's the big part of it on that side of the ball. And then as far as the defense goes, they've just kind of retooled it and started bringing in, you know, really power five caliber players to play those defensive line and linebacker spots. I mean, you look across the board, um, you've got a guy in Jahari Kay that was probably slept on a little bit coming out of junior college. But I think, you know, if they had their shot this year, I'm sure, you know, UCLA, Stanford, some of those, you know, schools in the Pac-12 would have been calling his name. Joe Wallace right in the middle. I mean, he's a guy that came here from Texas Tech. Bearcats got lucky that one of his best friends was on the team, and that kind of helped, you know, sway his decision to join Sam Houston. And then, you know, you got a guy like Javon Leon, a three-star recruit, being recruited by several FBS programs, choose the Bearcats, that opportunity to get on the field right away. And then Joe uh, Trace Mascaro, you know, the Southland Newcomer of the Year, you know, last season, he's a guy who is a criminal justice major, and the Bearcats have the best criminal justice program in the country. So they kind of got lucky on that one, too. So, I mean, you've got a defensive line where if you look at, you know, probably – six or so out of their front seven or eight guys at the defensive line linebacker position they're not guys that you typically see at the FCS level right they're the kind of bodies you see on teams like James Madison in North Dakota State and not really beyond there so I think the biggest thing is just that front seven or eight um, and just how physical they are but also how they have the athleticism that is kind of deceiving whenever you look and see how big some of those guys up front are. Yeah, I mean, for at least for me watching them against North Dakota State, the front seven speed kind of stood out to me, like where they were big bodies, but they were moving and clearly more athletic than what North Dakota State had up front. How has that speed helped them in terms of, you know, getting to the passer as well as 
stopping the run? Because I know the, the run stopping stats this year have been really impressive. Yeah, it, it's been huge. And I think what you've seen is that if they're able to stop the run, like if your rushing production is getting cut in half, you know, from what it usually is, you almost have no chance against the same Houston defense because once they get in a position where they know you have to pass, that's when that speed comes into play. I mean, I'll, I'll take Joe Wallace, Jahari Kay, you know, Trace Mascaro, Javon Leon, Sean Mustin, any of those guys almost in a one-on-one -on -one matchup against an offensive lineman. They're just that talented, just that well-rounded of players. And whenever you have four of them or so across the front, you kind of have to pick and choose. Like one of those guys is going to get beat. So I think that's the big part of it. And I think another thing, too, is that their athleticism has allowed them to get penetration. But you also don't really see a lot of quarterbacks that are, you know, slipping out of protection, be able to, you know, find their way out of the pocket and break off big runs. It happens from time to time. But I think uh, Cameron Ward a couple weeks ago against Incarnate Ward is a great example, freshman of the year in the country. Uh, but, you know, his running ability, which is tremendous, was really a non-factor just because of, how well they contain the quarterback. Yeah, you, you kind of touched on it too, talking about just how great that front is for Sam Houston State's defense. And Casey Keeler brought up, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, that he was building this team to compete against the JMUs and the North Dakota States of the FCS level. And here he is taking down North Dakota State last week and has the opportunity with JMU going to Sam Houston to take down the second team that he named in consecutive weeks. You brought it up, the, the transfers and stuff like that. But how have they been doing it, really? Has it been transfers? Has it been kind of the JUCO guys? Or has it been just recruiting guys that fit that scheme? It's really been recruiting guys that fit that scheme because it is a mix, right? I mean, you have guys like Javon Leon, you know, Markel Perry and Trevor Williams at linebacker that are 100% homegrown at, at Sam Houston Talents. And then you almost get the embarrassment of riches whenever you add a Joe Wallace from Texas Tech, a Jahari Kay, you know, who should be playing probably in the Pac-12, Trace Mascaro, who, you know, was an all-conference freshman guy out at UTEP. So I, I really think it's a perfect storm of everything. And it's kind of the same way across the board with this team, really. Like, if you look at their offense, they have a ton of homegrown talent. Like, you got Eric Schmidt at quarterback, Ife Day, D. Bowens, Chandler Harvin, you know, um, Noah Smith, Kyron Jackson, Donovan Williams, you have all these weapons, but then you also add in just a few guys, you know, whether it's, you know, Prince Pines or Eliasa Anderson come down from Baylor to play on the offensive line. Jaquez Ezard, an All-American, comes in from Howard. Ramon Jefferson, who's just been running all over teams the past couple of weeks. You know, it's, uh, it's really a perfect blend, really. It's not one thing or the other. I know with the way the transfer portal's gone, the Bearcats have kind of placed a heavier emphasis on recruiting high school kids just because a lot of those talented transfers that you would typically see drop to the FCS level are now able to make lateral moves to other FBS teams. So, I mean, they've, they've made a heavy focus, you know, bringing in talented JUCO guys that are overlooked and then also just focusing in on that homegrown talent that maybe has a chance to go to a school like a TCU or University of Houston, but wants to get on the field instead of wait, you know, two or three years for their time to shine. The thing about the North Dakota State game that really stood out to me was obviously the special teams mistakes at times. And JMU fans watch that and they're like, oh, wow, this is a great opportunity for, for special teams play. Is that fair or is that just kind of a one-week anomaly where, where they didn't execute as well as they normally do? 
Yeah, I think it's a one-week anomaly. Uh, and head coach Casey Keeler kind of talked about it immediately after the game and in his press conference that I just got done with. And, you know, one of the things that they did that I think was a big result in those issues is they kind of started pulling some of their tr- – like, because usually Sam Houston, like, they play their best players on special teams. Like, they – like, Gary McGraw does a tremendous job coaching special teams there. They're typically one of the best special teams units in the country – I think for them, it was just kind of they pulled some guys off the field that would typically be out there. So you have, you know, guys that are in situations they aren't normally in, and that kind of leads to some of these breakdowns. But, you know, without a doubt, I mean, it it is concerning. I think, you know, the big reason they took those guys off is so they have, you know, energy as they continue this postseason run. So I'm interested to see if they're going to keep going with that strategy or if they're going to, you know, get back to what works so well for them on special teams in the regular season. Yeah, that was that, – that, Sam Houston was just dominating that game, and then you look up at the scoreboard, and then all of a sudden they're North Dakota State's right in it. I, I was a little worried there because if, if you give North Dakota State that many opportunities to produce, it normally bites you in the butt. But thankfully the Bearcats play, JMU now. I'm, I'm very, I've been looking forward to this game for a while um, just because the growth of Sam Houston has been awesome to watch. But what are some players – you brought up guys to kind of watch, but X factors, the ones that necessarily don't jump out of the stat sheet, but that may have a real impact in the game on Saturday. Is it Saturday? Yeah. (laughs) Back on, back on normal schedule this week. Uh, But, but yeah, you know, I guess one, one name I'm going to throw out, not really a sleeper or anything, but Jaquez Ezzard has been a little bit quiet so far this postseason. I mean, he's a guy who in the regular season, he was averaging over 30 yards every time he touched the ball, whether it was special teams or catching passes or running it. So, I mean, I think if they, he's a guy to watch. If he gets going, the games whenever he's exploded are the games when Sam Houston has just run away from teams. Like the Nichols team, yes, they weren't as good as, you know, their number seven ranking showed, but still a top 25 team when it's all said and done. And they just absolutely took them to the woodshed. And the big reason why was because Jaquez was just running past everybody. So you got to keep an eye on him. And then Noah Smith, too. He, he's really a big X factor because whenever guys like Ife Adei, D. Bones, Jaquez Ezard start stretching the field, the Bearcats love to get him into open space. You know, Ryan Carty does a great job, whether it's sending him out on wheel routes or sneaking him into the middle of the field after everyone's cleared out. I've lost count of how many times that Noah Smith he just ends up with the ball in his hands and there's no one within 20 yards of him. So I think he's an X factor to watch, especially if Sam Houston's passing game gets going, I would look for Noah Smith to have over 100 all-purpose yards again. Last question for me, but I think Eric Schmidt, at least from what I've seen, is the best quarterback left in this field. I was curious, what makes him such a good player? I've seen him a little bit, but for Jamie fans who haven't seen a ton of Sam Houston, why is this guy such a good quarterback? There's really so many things that go into it. And, you know, it's funny because whenever I got here in 2018, I, I didn't think he would ever be the starting quarterback just because he was sort of number three on the depth chart. And then all of a sudden he just keeps working his way up and then takes over the starting job right before Southland Conference play last year. And, you know, we've seen it whenever he's healthy. He's, in my opinion, the most exciting quarterback in the FCS. He has 4-4 speed, but he doesn't rely on it. He uses it when he needs to, but the thing he does great is he'll escape pressure, and then all of a sudden he forces a defensive back or linebacker to cheat up on him, 
and then he just hits you over the top for a 50, 60 yard pass. And that's really the big thing um, is that he's generates those explosive plays. Like you have all these playmakers around him, but I think it's Eric's speed that keeps people so honest and allows you to just keep hammering them over the top. So I think that's big. And then the past couple of weeks, I mean, if you looked at Sam Houston during the regular season, if one area gave them issues, it was protecting the football, right? They had a turnover in every single regular season game they played. But the past two weeks, winning the turnover battle, a combined 5-0. and And that's really been the difference. You know, Eric's protecting the football. We haven't seen maybe as many explosive plays as we have in the past. I think a lot of that has to do with the caliber of defense he's facing. But also, he's not necessarily forcing as many of those plays where you know it might be a 50 50 ball he's he's pulling back on that a little bit still taking his chances as we saw with the deep ball to Ife a day to set up the win but I, I like the fact that he's protecting the football so well and that's honestly you know two 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 one score games him protecting the football and not turning it over you know is as much of the difference as anything I think my last question before we get your score prediction and your game pick because of course but <laughs> We've talked a lot about what, what happened with North Dakota State and everything like that. But then you look at the Monmouth game, and this just popped into my mind. They built that 21-0 lead, and then Monmouth comes storming back. And that's a Monmouth team that I didn't think was that great. Was that Sam Houston – or one, am I wrong in thinking that that Monmouth team wasn't that great? And two, what kind of – what fell apart for them to kind of, to let Monmouth right back into it? I think Monmouth, in my opinion, they're one of the top 10 teams in the country this spring. Like in my final stats ballot, I think I had them around number seven or so. They're deceivingly good, right? Like whenever you see Monmouth, Big, Big South, you, you get a little uh, skeptical. Like I, I was right there too. And then I saw this team, even in warmups, like they're just so, like you've seen it, y'all been to games. Like you can tell teams that are disciplined and which, which teams aren't. A lot of times by the way that they warm up and conduct themselves before the game, and my initial thought is like, wow, this is an extremely well-coached team, very locked in, probably don't have the size and athleticism to match up with Sam, but they're as focused as I've seen any team. And then they got in the game and, you know, Tony Musket, he's a star in the making right there, that freshman quarterback. And then Juwan Fari is as good a running back as anybody in the country. So I think a part of it was how good Monmouth is. I don't know how they ended up playing the number two seed in the country, in my opinion, but they um, – the thing that really hurt Sam in that one is they went up 21-0. They did a double pass where they had a guy wide open. It would have been a touchdown, I think, to make it 28-0. Instead, they have to punt the ball away. And then Monmouth goes on a 90-yard drive. And in the mix of all that, you lose your one of your top defensive backs who goes out with an injury. You lose probably your number two offensive lineman who goes out with an injury. And then Monmouth goes on a 90-yard drive that just really sucks all the energy and momentum out of Sam Houston. So even though they were up by two touchdowns after that, you definitely felt worried because, you know, Sam was rolling all game long. Then all of a sudden they don't hit the touchdown and then they get the ball back, drive it for 90 yards. And just I think they dominated the time of possession almost two to one, if I'm not mistaken. So in that one, it was a mix of things. But I think part of it was maybe – playing a little bit, I don't want to say prevent defense, but playing to avoid that that big play. And then also it was just kind of losing all their rhythm, right? Their, their defense was on the sideline for what seemed like an eternity, and they got back out there, and Monmouth had all the momentum on their side. Makes sense. <laughs> all right, so then final score prediction, who do you got 
I, I think I could probably make a, a fair guess who you, who you have winning just to not upset your, uh, <laughs> your, your readers, but who do you have winning? And what's your final score prediction? Yeah. You know, my, uh, it's funny. I, I host the bet the FCS podcast with a couple of other FCS media guys. And uh, we did a thing at the beginning of the season said, take James Madison and North Dakota state out of the equation. Who's your national champion. And I said, Sam Houston, and you know, they made it this far. I'm going to keep rolling with them until the end. I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's one, again, probably a one-score game. And if I had to guess, maybe uh, give me a 24-21 with either a late field goal by Sam or maybe a late defensive stop sealing the victory. I like that. I think it's going to be a good one. I'm excited for it. Yeah, and thank you so much for coming on the uh, JMU Sports News Podcast. If you want to plug where people can find your stuff, find you on Twitter, go ahead. The space is yours. Yeah, absolutely. Josh Criswell, as they mentioned, sports editor of the Huntsville item, as well as the host of the Bet the FCS podcast. Follow Bet the FCS at bet underscore FCS on Twitter and Instagram. And then for all, all Sam Houston happenings, follow me at item underscore Criswell on Twitter. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. And I got to say before we go, love the Delaware pennant. I've been a big Delaware truther all season, and I'm glad that other people are coming onto the train with me. Absolutely. Hey, if, if we're counting uh, Montana's two games, all these all these guys behind me are undefeated this spring, minus the uh, old penguin up there. So, <laughs> Awesome. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. Again, thank you so much to Josh Criswell for coming on the podcast, talking Sam Houston State, giving us insightful information on what the Bearcats are doing down there in Texas. JMU travels down there for a Saturday kickoff of arguably the two best teams left in the field. And now it's kind of our breakdown of it from more of a JMU perspective. What do the Dukes need to do to win this game? Because I don't think it's – I mean, they, they've opened up at one-and-a-half-point favorites, which is kind of surprising to me. But what do you think the Dukes need to do in a game where I think they should be underdogs? Yeah, I think well, I think Chase was saying or tweeting that they had opened as two and a half point dogs, and then it had really quickly flipped to JMU being the favorite. I have no idea how accurate that is, but I'll, I'll trust Chase Kitty's tweets randomly. So I mean, it's it's kind of an interesting one where I think Sam Houston's a lot better than they get credit for, and I think yeah. JMU with Cole Johnson playing well is also really good. Like I think it's got a chance to be a big time game. It's going to be eighty five degrees, which is a little bit warmer than it's been in Harrisonburg. So maybe an adjustment there, but JMU's going to try to run the ball, but they also now appear to have a passing attack, which yeah. makes me think, think that they, I do think JMU's going to win. I think JMU's going to get it done, but I think it's going to be close. Yeah. I mean, I, I think so too. If we see the Dukes that came out against VMI, that came out against North Dakota, I think they win this game. What worries me is I don't know if I'm fully sold that we're going to see that team again for a third consecutive week after I don't think we've really seen this type of play for consecutive weeks in over a year since 2019. Um, and what really worries me about North, uh, what I did, I did what you did at the, the first take of the open. Um, no one will hear that because we're cutting that out. <laughs> what really worries me about <laughs> Sam Houston is what Josh talked about in their quarterback that 4-4 speed who doesn't really rely on it and with a very aggressive secondary, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of worried about if, if – I think JMU's front seven can stop the run and force Sam Houston 
into the passing attack. But I think it might be worse that they're forced into the passing attack because that secondary is kind of where I'm worried for this game. An important point off of that is I don't know exactly how healthy McCormick is and if he'll be able to play. Also worth noting that JMU would have been in so much control if McCormick didn't tweak his groin on what would have been an obvious pick six to go 24-7. Worth (laughs) noting in that game, because that was a big momentum flip, I think, for North Dakota to hang around at all. Yeah, they, um, that pick six, and then they punt. Right, and then they did the nonsense drive with, like, 43 trick plays. and a, <laughs> So <laughs> it was a weird momentum flip. But, yeah, the secondary is going to be interesting. I think it's going to be something to, to monitor quite a bit in terms of how healthy they're, they're able to be and how competitive they can be. Greg Ross looked like he came back at least right and played a little bit um, against uh, North Dakota. So they that's helpful. But – God, the quarterback, what is worrisome about him is that there are a lot of plays where North Dakota State, it seemed like, like should have sacked him, and he just, like, wiggles out of it for, like, eight yards, and it was like, that's going to be an issue. I said this. I've, I've been on record saying this every week. JMU has struggled against dual-threat quarterbacks, against quarterbacks that are mobile, that get out of the pocket, and that's what worries me so much about Eric Schmidt. I think that's how you, that's how you pronounce the name Schmid. I like to say it where it's like uh, you could be saying Schmidt or you could be saying Schmid. I think it's Schmid, but if you say it sort of you know in between, no one really knows and no one will call you out. So that's my strategy. Oh, perfect, week. perfect. But yeah, I think I think he's going to be a big problem. I think they'll stop the running backs. I think for the most part they'll kind of keep the receivers under wraps, where one receiver won't kind of destroy the secondary. But I think what he can do with his legs, Eric Schmidt can do with his legs that's going to be the deciding factor in this game. If the defense, if, if Kurt Signetti learned anything against playing against Trey Lance last playoffs, I pray that he puts it into, into use this week. And he's a good quarterback. Um, I think his four, four speed might be without pads on just from watching him. Like, I don't think like to me, Trey Lance is a faster, like more dynamic. Yeah, runner. Yeah, okay, I see. I see what you mean. Yeah. 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 Uh, but he's still, he still moves. And some guys like, get faster in pads. Some guys get slower. You're thinking he gets slower. I think he probably gets a little slower. But he's, he's still really shifty. But I also don't think he's going to just, like, burn them with, like, a Trey Lance third and 23, 50-yard run when they don't use a spy. Uh, I don't think that'll happen. But, I mean, he's a good player and, and a really good player. I think he's a better passer um, in terms of what he does within their offense and more dynamic in that way than Lance was. Like, Lance really didn't do anything passing-wise. So it was all that threatening against JMU. He just – destroy them with his legs i think schmidt will be a little bit the other way where i think he's got a chance to to hurt him through the air and still contribute with his legs but yeah i mean he's a he's a good football player and speaking of quarterbacks i think we have to talk a little bit about cole johnson and his resurgence coming out of the pause a little bit of a shaky game against vmi with two interceptions but still an overall good game from him and then north dakota no interceptions two touchdowns absolutely i think 13 of 15 for 250 some yards absolutely balled out what does what type of game do you see do you think Cole needs to have against Sam Houston in order for JMU to win? I mean, I think limiting turnovers is key. You mentioned or Josh mentioned, I guess, when he came on that, you know, Sam Houston's been awesome in the turnover battle in the first two playoff games. So that's going to be important if he can limit those mistakes. You look at North Dakota State through a couple of picks against Sam Houston with some questionable throws. That quarterback uh, is a freshman and he played like it. Johnson is, you know, an experienced guy who's starting to actually show that. So I don't know. I mean, I think you're looking at 200 yards and if you don't throw any interceptions, that's probably a good start because Sam Houston's defense is legit. 
but I still think the matchup, JMU's offensive line is still really good. The running backs are still really good. Like, I think JMU can still find ways to run the football and have success, especially if Cole can open it up with some passes. I mean, I think this is the best rushing offense in terms of offensive line, running back uh, group that Sam Houston has faced all season. Yeah, I think I think both of these are the best teams each one has faced from yes. a top, top to bottom standpoint. It's worth mentioning, JMU's only played freshman quarterbacks in the first two rounds of the playoffs. So has... Sam Houston. This is the first time both teams are playing against a non-freshman quarterback, which is just really interesting. And I kind of take everything that the defenses have done for both sides, like the first two weeks with a little bit of a grain of salt, because playing a freshman is much, much different than playing Eric Schmidt, one of the best quarterbacks in the Southland, if not the FCS and playing against Cole Johnson, arguably the oldest quarterback left in the field. Yeah, that's a really good point. I didn't even, didn't even know that. So that's a, a heck of a point from you, man. You, you, you brought it today. This is why we're uh, one of the best podcasts in the business. Yeah, you put us up against anyone. Um, <laughs> so moving off of all that, we've, we've, talked, we've talked Antoine Wells. I mean, his just playoff resurgence, not resurgence, his playoff surgeons. He's just absolutely taken the FCS world by storm. Talked about that. We've talked a little bit about Cole, about Percy, Luttrell, Jawan, everything. We talked all about Sam Houston. Let's talk a little bit about FCS playoffs as a whole. I got to say two things and then I'll let you kind of react to them. The MVFC, the Missouri Valley sucks. Um, they got what? Five, six teams in and how many of them are playing in the semifinals? None. One. South, one, one. Wow. <laughs> Oops. You really just a race out there to stay out. Sorry. I was, I was thinking ahead because Delaware is going to beat them. So how many are going to be in the national championship? None. There we go. Um, so that. Two, Delaware is legit. I can't wait for a CAA national title. You're big on Delaware in this one. I think they'll have their <laughs> their hands full with South Dakota State. I think they can get it done. The Jacksonville State game, they won 20 to 14. It wasn't really close. Jacksonville State's quarterback got hurt early. They couldn't do anything offensively. They had like their third or fourth stringer in, and every time he threw the ball, it appeared like it was going to a blue hen, and most of the times it was. <laughs> Uh, so he really struggled. <laughs> Delaware's defense was awesome. Nolan Henderson got just crushed onto his left shoulder. Just crushed. I'm so stunned he came back in, but it really taped it up. He was trying to avoid contact as much as he could. A Jacksonville State guy also almost murdered him after that when he was going out of no, bounds. That was a clean hit. What do you mean, bro? Jacksonville State fans were trying to defend him, saying he was still in bounds. What? That was truly absurd. So. That was, that was something to keep an eye on, uh, his health and how they're doing. They also haven't really gotten the running game going. They haven't got the running game going, and they haven't really let Nolan Henderson ball. He balled a little bit when he was healthy against Jacksonville State, got up early, and then they just went into cruise control. So we'll see what they do, because South Dakota State did not impress me against Southern Illinois. Southern Illinois also just had this guy who plays tight end slash wildcat quarterback, and he was a freak. He was a matchup nightmare. Southern Illinois also should have won that game, but FCS refs yes. absolutely blow chunks and missed it was, a clear yep. touchdown. And then Southern Illinois was dumb not to just review. Well, Southern Illinois also has the worst goal line offense I've ever seen in my life. They had, you know, first and goal at the inch line. <laughs> fourth, fourth and goal, they try for the second time to give an offensive lineman a carry from the fullback spot. And he, like, left his feet. He was trying to jump in. It's like, you're 300-some pounds, sir. When you're that close – this is what Madden has taught me. Just QB sneak it. 
just QB sneak it. They were doing a lot of shotgun garbage. Like when you're that close, yeah. all you have just tell your offensive lineman, just destroy the person in front of you, and then have the quarterback just fall in with okay, whatever. Off of that, um, a question for you: Should JMU stay in Texas? I mean, they're playing in Sam Houston. If they win this game, the national championships one week later in Frisco. Is it worth it coming back and then going back? Or do you think there's a setup where they might just stay there and go up to Frisco and practice at the Dallas Cowboys practice facility like they do in a normal national championship week? I have no idea logistically how it looks, like what it means for them packing clothes-wise, where they would go hotel-wise, all of that. I mean, if they think it's better for them, then yeah, sure. First, you got to win because if you lose to Sam Houston, you're probably not spending a week in Texas. So first, you got to get got to get the job done against a really good team, and then I think they can figure out. I don't think it'll be a huge difference either way. Like they would, what they play Delaware or or South Dakota State. That's a pretty hefty trip for both them too to Texas. That's true. So JMU has to go back and then go back. I don't think it would like be a disadvantage if they wanted to go grab some clothes or whatever yeah it honestly might be worse for delaware who's going all the way up to south dakota who then has to come all the way back to delaware who then has to go to texas if they went interested Um, that there was no no additional week gap i thought that might have been interesting to add an extra week for rest before the natty but yeah but i think they're just trying to get this season done i think you're correct (laughs) um we talked a little bit about cole i thought i wrapped it up but in the outline there's two more questions about him so i have to ask them can Cole's arm – because Sam Houston State, Josh was talking about it. Their front seven is disgustingly good. I mean, great Juco transfers, a good power five kid. Yeah. It, is, it, it rivals JMU. This might be the best front seven that JMU has played since North Dakota State in the national champ. Well, it is the best front seven they've played since North Dakota State. Say they shut down the running game. They just stack the box and they say, Cole Johnson, we know you've balled out the last two weeks, but looking at your sample as a whole, we know that – we're comfortable with you having us win the game. Do you think Cole Johnson's right arm can lead the Dukes to not only a win in the semis, but a national championship when it's all said and done? Yeah. I mean, Sam Houston scored 21 against Monmouth and 24 against North Dakota state. So I don't, I don't think the offense for Jamie needs to go crazy in this one. And I definitely think that he's shown the ability with the playmakers and Thornton and Wells to, to make the throws South Dakota State's appeared vulnerable. You add them in a neutral site, still think that's really winnable. Delaware, I think Jamie might be the living crap out of um, the more I watched them. <laughs> I like Delaware. I like Delaware a lot, but it's like if they stay the way they are where they're just like pounding it for two yards when their running game can't get going and they don't trust Henderson, his shoulder hurts, yeah. like I ah, could get ugly quick. They're saying defense win these games for us. We're going to put up nine points and we hope that you hold them to zero. At the same time, if Rocco like, and they start going aggressive with what Henderson can do and some of that stuff, they're, they're kind of dangerous. Like I wouldn't rule them out. I think that that game could be like a gross little thing where Cole yeah. Johnson's arm might need like three completions and they win yeah, it. Plus, plus Rocco. So don't count him out. I think um, that they could, uh, yeah, I think his arm could take him. And last Cole question, his legacy. I mean, Let's what see. is he like, like, I guess it depends on what happens these next two weeks. But when we look back at this weird, weird Cole Johnson era, the Cole Johnson career as a whole that spans Mike Houston bringing him in as the next quarterback and then potentially then losing out to Ben DiNucci and then getting just the crazy. What do, we, what do you think we're going to look back? I mean, we look back with, with rose-tinted glasses with Brian Shore. We kind of look back with rose-tinted glasses with Ben DiNucci, even after his terrible 
first season, which I mean, I, I've been a Ben DiNucci truther from day one, but we look back and we see his positive. We look back at, we look back at Vad Lee with, with all of these players with rose tinted glasses. Are we going to do the same with Cole or do you think there's going to kind of be uh, what could have been with him? I think there's probably an understanding that he's the least talented of that group, but also an understanding that he in the 2018 season had no real need to redshirt. Like he could have just went through his career, lost out the battle to Benanucci and said, I'm done playing college football. Instead, he made this long effort to have chances to compete and chances to actually be the quarterback struggled, came back and is now just balling in the playoffs. So I think people look back really positively, even if he struggles here and they end up losing or he throws a few interceptions, just like his willingness to stay and, and compete in an era when most kids don't do that. I thought was really cool and kind of refreshing. Yeah, that's a great take. I love that. I think looking back on it, it's going to be kind of an appreciation for what he was. I mean, he was the epitome of a great backup. Um, when Brian Shore goes down in the national title run, he comes in and he provides huge wins that keep them in the, the hunt for the one seed. He, he has spot starts throughout his career where he absolutely plays the way he needs to and gets wins for Jamie. And I think there's going to, and yeah, pre-pause, post-pause. I think we're going to look at this season specifically as post-pause and he balled out um, to, to undersell it. I mean, he's been competing hard and he made me look dumb. His deep ball is sick. Like the way that that's going with Wells right now is awesome. I'm so glad they opened that up because to start the season, it was a lot of slants out routes where his ball doesn't have a lot of velocity on it. I'm not, he's, he doesn't have like the strongest arm to just whip it there, but he has the touch on a deep ball where it's almost always placed right in the bread basket. It's never really overthrown. It's never underthrown. It's his deep ball accuracy is, is one to behold. It's also yeah. kind of, I was just going to say, it's kind of fun that Wells, like he's having that Stapleton kind of breakout, but Stapleton, every time the ball was in the air, it was like, this could also get picked because this is a 50-50 ball. Wells, when you see it, it's like, he just blew by this guy and has six yards of separation. If the throw is anywhere near him, this is a touchdown, which has been kind of sick. And like you said, with Wells being able to just separate from guys and instead of the 50-50 jump balls, like with Stapleton, Wells has really just come onto the scene here in the past couple of weeks. And all of a sudden, JMU fans are in love with him. But whenever I bring him up on Twitter, there's always someone who's like, he might not be at JMU for much longer. FBS teams are looking. I, I guess I'm kind of feeling like I'm in the minority now. I feel like he's here for the long haul. Do you think there's any – I mean, he probably won't be transferring this this going into next season because he's playing right now and I don't think an FBS team is necessarily going to want to poach an FCS player who can't be into the program in the spring but do you think maybe after another great year um, that FBS teams will be trying to take him away I think he's he's going to be an, a JMU guy through and through I hope so I mean I hope he is I definitely think teams will try to potentially poach him or there would definitely be interest yeah I think not I think pretty much all the FBS teams have wrapped up their spring so for him to to not have that spring and then try to break in somewhere um somewhere that's better than JMU I think would be challenging without a spring if that makes sense like I think he wouldn't want to my guess is that he wouldn't go to like a Mac school he'd be looking at like a power five offer yeah um that's also still really hard to do no like not trying to belittle what he's accomplished he's a really good player um, but to go to the power five level, earn a spot, 
and still earn enough reps. Like what Jabril Cox did at North Dakota state, like that's special, man, to be able to yeah. go from North Dakota state to LSU and be a starting linebacker is, is hard. Yeah. And that's a great point. Cause I don't think, I think that'll be a big factor. He's not transferring really even to a max school where he's going to continue to get 10 targets a game and have a competent quarterback throwing him the ball. Granted, we don't know what the quarterback position is going to look like outside of this year. It could be gauge. It could be an FBS transfer. It really could be a lot of different things. It could be Cole again. We don't know. <laughs> so, but I mean, going to a max school, you're going to become wide receiver two, wide receiver three, and you're going to be getting thrown the ball by a quarterback. That's probably less than Jane, whoever is going to be playing for JMU. Um, so I think that's why I think his best bets to stay at JMU keep putting up God. Well, he hasn't really put up a season full of gaudy numbers and Riley Stapleton. We, we we're comparing him to his play outside of the 2017 playoff run. Riley Stapleton was a good receiver for JMU. Don't get me wrong, but Riley never lived up to the expectations that were set after that great playoff run. So Antoine Wells still has to finish out this playoff, continue to play well, and then head into next season and play extremely well too. For me to even think that FBS teams, FBS teams will be sniffing around him. I think Wells can put up like Brandon Polk numbers. Like I, I do think- too. I'm, I'm not trying to diminish it whatsoever. I'm just like continuing that Riley Stapleton kind of parallel. Um, I don't it's, I'm just saying it's- Riley never could. Ne- Riley never took that playoff run yeah. and grew from it. He plateaued from it, which was still good especially when you have Brandon Polk, Terrence Alls, like all these other really good receivers. I think Antoine Wells, though, the reason that he's going to have the potential to continue to put up amazing numbers is he doesn't have the type of wide receiver two, three, four behind him like Riley did. It's just the speed and the hands and yeah. like the one touchdown over the middle where he bounces off a guy. And yeah, he's got that some, one was some- he's got some skills. So I'm excited about him. And that was the other thing with like Stapleton is he gets some red zone targets, but like if he caught the ball for 10 yards, he's not going to juke a guy and go 60 where like a Wells or a Polk might be able to take a screen for a touchdown or whatever. And I mean, realistically by the end of Wells's career, he's going to be playing in the AAC at JMU. Um, So (laughs) there we go. Why transfer dude? Like you're going to be power six in like a year anyway. I guess we didn't even talk about that. I guess we have to, make a little obligatory talk about that. JMU to the AAC might be happening soon. Apparently they're looking at what adding like 15 more teams. Look, look, and that was <laughs> seemed like a totally incredible account, but that's okay. It was, uh, so they wanted say, Boise and then which, San Diego state and then two other people. And then they're looking at other ex- Boise. Absolutely would make sense. Boise should be in the American athletic, at least for football. Like that doesn't make any sense why they're not like they would add so much to that conference. Yeah. Basically a ranked team. Even the basketball program is pretty good. Yeah, San Diego State's another good team, and then you would have someone over there, and then you have a conference that makes no sense geographically, which is obviously what everyone's looking for. But, <laughs> hey, man, JMU in there would be a whole lot of fun. We're stirring up the pot. Everyone, once they see anything about AAC, where it's like they could take two unnamed schools, JMU fans are like, whoa. You we don't name ourselves <laughs> right now. We're in. Have you seen what our field hockey team has done? <laughs> yeah, so that, that's not happening. Um, oh, it's happening. Okay. We'll talk a little now moving from all that football talk, <laughs> softball, Odyssey Let's, Alexander. And I don't want to, I don't want to be this guy. Okay. I'm going to sort of, 
put like a little damper on it. But she's healthy again. She's playing great. She threw a perfect game after Alyssa Humphrey threw a no-hitter against the College of Charleston in a doubleheader. They both struck out. I think they both struck out 15 or something. That's so like, <laughs> just so amazing. It's worth noting that College of Charleston is like 6-35. and 35. Like they are one of the worst. But college. still. It's still gross. Like honestly struck out 14 of 15 batters in a five-inning complete perfect game. <laughs> like unbelievable. So they've got Charlotte today when we're recording. Charlotte's a top 75 RPI team. Last game of the regular season. Then next Wednesday they'll have the – the start of the CAA championship. So they're looking good going into the NCAA tournament. Um, worth noting that their schedule is not that hard. They're basically ranked like 24 or 25. I think that's accurate for this team. Um, the level of pitching you need to like make the college world series is horrifying. Like they had Megan good and Jalen Ford and still came up short, even when they were hosting a super regional Megan good, not being able to make a college world series should tell you, just how unbelievably hard it is and I don't think Jamie is quite at that level yeah and you brought it up a a, a while ago or maybe it was yesterday so a while ago um even with just Megan Good it took everything that team had to beat Michigan and then UCLA and Rachel Garcia absolutely just swept the floor with them you know who's still in college softball Rachel Garcia Rachel Garcia is she she's really? A, she's got a point six ERA. I swore Rachel Garcia is like a 17th year senior. I think she did something where she like went and either played professionally or with a national team, but still had, it was some, something weird. Her eligibility. She like, did something where I think she took a season off and somehow maintained eligibility. It was kind of confusing. Okay. But whatever happened, she's still there and really good. Oklahoma, That's an insane ERA. Oklahoma, number one team in the country, unanimous. They average about 12 runs a game. She's with Oklahoma? They, oh, yeah. Oklahoma. Rachel a different, Garcia? No, no, no. She's with, oh. she's with UCLA. But Oklahoma, like just to compare like how good these teams are, got it, got they it. average like an NCAA best 12 runs a game. Also have an un- – they're like 39-1 in the Big 12. So I get that's what I'm saying when it's like there's JMU, which is unbelievably good. And then there's like, we just made the Women's College World Series good, and JMU would need an incredibly special historic run. Like, Alyssa Humphrey's really good. Alyssa Humphrey against Oklahoma would be an incredible challenge. Yeah. But just to highlight the numbers of how great their, that weekend was for Odyssey Alexander, she pitched 12 innings, didn't allow a run, one hit, two walks, 25 Ks. And then at the plate, she batted 500, three for six, two homers, had more home runs than she allowed in hits, seven ribbies, three walks. She's so good. So she got on base six of nine tries. Unreal. Shane Metlin finally, or someone, it was him, but someone finally talked about, I meant like someone finally talked about her injury. People have just said she's injured. Uh, Apparently it was like a hamstring strain, I think. So she was battling that for most of the season. She's healthy now. And you use her legs a lot as a college softball pitcher. Um, it's pretty important in terms of generating power. So if you got a, a bum hamstring, that's going to make it pretty tough. So she's health, healthy. They're playing well. I mean, they're going to have a good chance to win this AA title, even though Delaware and I think someone else is, is pretty darn good. But, um, the, but the plus side of that is then you're playing teams with better RPI and potentially could get a better better setup for the regional. And then making it to the super regional right now, I think would be fantastic for this team. Yeah, because realistically, I think you, what is it, top six, 
I don't remember what it is. Who hosts a regional? Top 16? I think so. I, I just remember when JMU didn't get a host a regional against. I think you got to be top sixteen, and then you host, and then supers is top eight because they were seven when they hosted LSU. I think it was so they hosted the the regional and a super. I don't think they'll be a top sixteen, so I don't even think they'll host a regional. So they're probably going to have to go out and beat a top sixteen seed on the road like they did with Michigan to get into a super regional. So it's it's kind of hard to. Yeah, it's really hard to be a mid-major and not be able to play those teams in the preseason. Or yeah, preseason. I think that that's the big one. We we don't we really have no idea how good this team is because there was no like early sure. season. Like they haven't uh, played anybody. Yeah, like normally normally there's kind <laughs> of a barometer because you play like those those invitationals for like the first three months of the season against these. Really, normally JMU is playing against top twenty-five, top right. sixteen teams. They didn't get to do it this season, so really they're 30 and one and we have no idea how good this team is the bright side is that the players a lot of them have like gone up against top tier teams like we know kate and gordon can hit we know yeah. sarah jewis can hit and madison iokas and, and obviously he can pitch against them very well yeah. but like there are unknowns like Alyssa humphrey's been a star with odyssey out we have no idea what, what she would be like against an sec team so yeah yeah it's a lot of unknowns well any other olympic sports to hit Men's soccer lost to UCF in the NCAA tournament. Tough one. tough one for them. They got a After great not team. a lot, no offense, not no offense. I mean, it was just very interesting. After TJ Bush put together practically no goals for the first seven games of the season, I think the last three games he allowed, no, he allowed zero in the CA championship game. So there goes my point. And then the other thing that's interesting is that game I had said previously, it was against the AAC champions UCF. That game I had determined was for automatic entry into the AAC making it an even tougher blow for the JMU community to lose that one. That, that would have been all sports as well. So, all right. Gosh, that one's crushing. Um, and Dukes, JMU is going to face Tennessee in Ooh, the first women's round for women's tennis. Charlottesville. They'll be in Charlottesville for those. So something to keep an eye on. And uh, women's golf, I want to say they start play on the 10th. Perfect. Monday. So. And, um, lacrosse jumped one spot to the number 20 ranking in the iwlca coaches poll oh they gotta be playing soon don't they yeah when is that <laughs> Dude, it may fit today today, <laughs> today wow <laughs> they're playing Eli. i mean no that's actually not them they're playing the winner on friday oh <laughs> well, it's late wait no, no no they're actually not they're playing hofstra on friday in the semifinal Number 25, Hofstra. Big opportunity for the Dukes. Right, they haven't played Hofstra this season. All right. So, anything else you want to add? No, I got to bail. All right. You have a great day for Bennett Conlon. My name's Jack Fitzpatrick. Check us out on Twitter at Jamie Sports News. Check us out on Facebook, Jamie Sports News. Check us out at our home on the web, www.jmusportsnews.com. Go ahead and give us a rating on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen, and have a wonderful rest of your day. JMU kicks off against Sam Houston State on Saturday for a chance to go to Frisco. See ya. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.